0: Hello listeners, welcome to What Happens Next, I'm Dr Susan Carland. Over the next two episodes, we will take a look at the future of comedy. What will be the impact of cancel culture and political correctness on comedy in, say, 20 years time? And what will this mean for stand-up comedians? Hey everyone, my name is Susan. Now, I've just flown in from Sydney and boy are my arms tired. (laughs) A funny thing happened to me on the way here tonight. I was rushing out the front gate and I saw... (coughs) Okay, so maybe comedy isn't that easy. Take my word for it. Not only is there the pressure to be funny, but also now more than ever, there's the pressure not to offend. We're going to talk to a bunch of comedians and experts about their perspectives on the future of comedy, the issues they need to think about and what impact it's having on their craft. We'll be speaking to some new waves of comedians fighting back against tired old tropes and being funnier than ever. What's driving these changes and why are they so important as part of a welcoming and inclusive society? We'll also be looking at the history of comedy in Australia and its larrikin roots our guests, Nazim Hussain, Michael Schaefer, Pete Hellier, Prue Blake, and historian Dr. Tony Moore. Welcome to What Happens Next, Episode 1 on the future of comedy.
1: Hi, I'm Peter Hellier, and I am a comedian, which means I tell jokes, um, sometimes on stage, sometimes on television. Um, not on TikTok yet.
0: Pete Hallier started doing comedy before the age of social media. He admits he does get a little anxious about whether some of his jokes might receive backlash or outrage. Pete Hallier, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you, Susan, for having me.
0: All right, question <laughs> number... I love that we're laughing already. This is a <laughs> great. <off the> <laughs> what do you see as some of the biggest impacts of cancel culture on comedy today?
1: I mean, I think cancel culture is it's like the angry cousin of political correctness, you know, like if cancel culture, I think was a comedian, I would say they, they found their voice, but they don't really know what they want to say, or at least they found their platform maybe. And they don't, they haven't found their voice. Like they need to sharpen their focus and their approach is a bit scattergun uh, for my liking. Um, you know, I think the problem with cancer culture for me is it, it doesn't give anyone a chance to evolve. You know, like we all mm. we all make mistakes. Um, we've all particularly if you're a comedian, you are you know, you are reflection, you know, you are trying to reflect society at that time. Now, um sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. Um but this idea that you can go back twenty years and find somebody's uh, tweet that you know that they they did when they were exactly 20 years younger um is is well it's it's, it's problematic um and it's it's I, I think it's unfair particularly if it's not a pattern of behavior i think if it's if they've continued that pattern of behavior you know up until you know recently then then there's there's a case to be made um but if it's a one-off tweet and if they've shown either remorse or if if, if that's not the you know if there's been a change of behavior and attitude from that person that I don't quite get it. I mean, I I do find it weird from not just comedy, but even with sports, this idea that, you know, um, an 18 year old footballer who maybe um, has left, you know, high school early um, maybe from, you know, uh, broken homes, uh, you know, um, uh, is supposed to be woke um,
2: yeah.
1: is seems to, you know, kind of, Really unfair to you know to me, and mm. then then you start wondering, okay, well, who are the cancer culture warriors really trying to defend here? If they, if you're going after this this mm. you know fictitious uneducated um, yeah. footballer, mm. um, who, who are you defending? Who are you standing up for?
0: Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? It's it's it, it's kind of this ironic behaviour we have where we take a very time specific thing that someone said 20 years ago and then prosecuted against the very time-bound attitudes of today but we act like these are universal truths that people have always thought this way or always felt this way um it's yeah it's a weird thing we do where we we act like the way we think now is actually timeless
1: well the the kevin hart tweet was really interesting where he it was say, 20 years ago or or so, and it was a a homophobic tweet. Um, My understanding is since then and in the years between, he's done, you know, work in that space. And and, um, so cancel culture, get onto it, he loses the job of hosting the Oscars. Mm -hmm. So is cancel culture really about, you know, what did that do for the fight against homophobia, against the idea of a, a black man hosting the Oscars at a time where, you know, we are, we are trying to get more representation. We get the Academy to, you know, uh, be more representative uh, of society and that black films weren't getting nominated. And yet we have a black man hosting the Oscars. Yeah, he loses that gig because of a tweet 20 years ago. I, I just think, I think that's a known goal for cancel culture.
2: Hi, my name is Nazim Hussain, and uh, I'm a comedian who um, makes makes you laugh. Much <laughs> <laughs> found that funny? <laughs> it's ridiculous.
0: Nazim Hussain is an Australian comedian, TV personality, writer, and activist. Nazim speaks out seriously against issues like racism, but he also likes to turn them on their head and use them in his comedy. <laughs> Nazim Hussain, welcome.
2: Thank you very much, Susan. So good to be here.
0: Tell me about your experience as a comedian. You're a Muslim. Your background is Sri Lankan. Do you ever feel the pressure to represent, to reassure people about either of those things, to to be the poster boy for either of those communities? (laughs) How, How do you deal with that?
2: When I first started doing comedy or being visible as a Muslim or a brown person, um, in a landscape that didn't have anyone that looked or many people that looked like me and you, um, I think there was definitely much more of a feeling to represent. And that came from within me and also from people that watched, like from our communities, um, because there was just, you know, everyone else that, 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 that I grew up watching on TV that looked like me, it was, was, were mostly kind of nuts, just yelling about stuff or they were, you know, walking out of a court, or accused of terrorism or something. So yeah, like if I had, you know, there's definitely an the expectation that, um, hey Nazeem, you're, you're, you're a Muslim. Don't stuff up. Make people think that we're good. That was an expectation. But I think now, the longer I do comedy, the less I feel that. I don't think audiences really care as much anymore. However, I still often receive messages from people going, "It's so great to see a brown person representing." Mm. Um, you know, um, uh, you, you know, you change. The way people think about muslims all that kind of stuff people will often send me messages like that but they're muslims or brown people and i don't know if if what they're saying is true that i actually do have an effect on the way people think about muslims or brown people um but uh but yeah sorry in answer to your question i don't feel that pressure as much anymore because i think i've made enough mistakes publicly to to feel like um i don't i don't have to be this perfect person on television all the time or like on on a stage um, I, I've always felt that responsibility to never say the wrong thing, in case I do and then suddenly, well I guess I'd probably now call it cancelled, get cancelled. Um, not just from Twitter, but like from the community or from like um, the racist media who are just out to sort of get Muslims. So um, I just feel like that has sort of died down a bit now. I've made enough mistakes mm-hmm. to that have got, kind of gone unnoticed maybe. Um, and, So now I feel like I can just relax. I can just sort of be a bit more myself and um, not worry about saying the right or wrong thing.
3: Hi, uh, my name is Prue Blake. I am a Melbourne based comedian that just won the Raw National Comedy Competition. Prue, what made you want to get into comedy in the first place? (laughs) Well, I moved to Melbourne for my PhD from Brisbane. And I did an improv class because uh, I thought it would help me get laid. And, <laughs> and, um, How'd that work out? <laughs> yeah, it was good. <laughs> yeah, it did work well. <laughs> but it's destroyed my whole life because <laughs> just from that one improv class, it just was like more improv classes, more shows, going into kind of smaller indie teams for improv, going onto a house team, then being like, I want more of the limelight. I'm going to go do stand-up. And so it's just kind of devolved into all comedy all the time.
0: How crucial do you think the, the social change element of comedy should be? I see a lot of it now. A lot of com- comedians are really leaning into that, yeah. um, that approach to comedy. Do you think that's a good thing for
3: comedy? No. I think, uh, I think it can be, but I think at the moment if it gets overused, does it not become less powerful? You know, it's like when it was a rare moment, that could be really powerful. Someone's really saying something. But now it's almost like we get to comedy festival, people have these hour-long shows, and it's kind of expected that at the 45-minute mark you have some sort of emotional breakthrough or you really push, you know, something you believe in, you get emotional about it, then you go back to the laughs. Mm. So it becomes almost formulaic and I think not as genuine or as authentic. And then, you know, where's the power in it anymore? Especially like you said,
0: if comedy is about surprise, there's no surprise in that. There's no
3: surprise in it. And it's also, you know, if you're doing it because you want to win awards and not because you really believe in a message or is that really going to come through in the same way or is it going to hit in the same way? Do you think comedians have any sort
0: of obligation to speak about the group that they may be perceived to be representing? Like,
3: do you feel compelled to talk about or make jokes about being a woman or sexism? I I do have some jokes about being a woman because it's naturally a part of my experience, but I don't feel compelled to talk about it and I don't think I want it to be a big part of my comedy overall. And I think when... We will have true inclusion in comedy is when people that are in minorities that feel like now they can only go on stage and talk about their race or their sexual identity or their gender identity, but if they feel like they can go on stage and talk about whatever the fuck they want and those things are just a little part of who they are and maybe they come up in a few jokes, but it doesn't have to be getting distilled down into almost a character of sorts. I think that would actually mean that comedy has become a more inclusive place. So cast your mind
0: 50, 100 years into the future. Mm. What does the trajectory of comedy look like?
3: Yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting question because at the moment I go, will the uh, youth of today and the young people, are they going to come through and come out to comedy nights when they've got these TikTok clips that are... 60 seconds long and perfectly kind of geared to their brain and kind of celebrate this mass mediocrity like everyone's kind of seeing the same things you're enjoying the same things and they're just hitting at this base level and I wonder I would love to say that in 50 100 years time comedy is this like incredible cultural part of Australia and everyone's going out they see shows all the time we have great festivals and it's really diverse, and all these voices that we weren't getting to see have come out and they're doing great things. But I just don't know if that will be the case. I wonder if it will be distilled to this kind of short clips on social media and brief sketches, and that will be a lot of it. The internetification, the internetification of and, yeah, comedy. The internetification of comedy.
0: Right. Which is terrifying.
3: It was so terrifying. But I think even now, sometimes you're on a really long lineup show, and I'm going how are these people sitting through this right. and paying attention for this long? Yeah. I would struggle. So
0: the, the, the breakthrough that you'd need to have at 45 minutes, yeah. you now need to be having at 45 seconds.
3: Yeah. Again and again and again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Tony Moore is an Associate Professor of Communications and Media Studies at Monash University. He's a historian and cultural scholar currently working on a history of comedy in Australia. Tony, it is great to see you. Tell us about the history of comedy in Australia. What what does it tell us about our psyche?
4: In looking at general patterns in in comedy in Australia, uh, I coined a phrase, the larrikin carnivalesque. And there seems to be to me from um, the first encounters with Indigenous people through the convict period, colonial period, throughout the 20th century, uh, a, a kind of subversive side to our comedy, an anti-authoritarian side. Now, that doesn't mean people rising up and rebelling every five minutes, but certainly taking the piss mm. frequently.
0: How have you seen comedy change in Australia in the last 20 years? Well,
4: in the last 20 years, there's been a... Comedy's always pushing at the boundaries of legitimacy and what's acceptable. So in the 1890s, it was used to delegitimise uh posh people basically aristocrats british rule that kind of moved to federation and 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 more radical visions was 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 used to say well you don't speak for us we working class people or we irish australians or this minority that group that are kind of not full citizens we're pushing for our rights and they're using comedy to do that in the last 20 years we've seen non-English speaking background Australians really seize the stage. Women have always been present in Australian comedy, but have really come to the fore. You know, think of Kath and Kim, Wendy Harmer, um, uh, Sharon Streslecki as a character. uh, And we've seen Indigenous comedians who have always been present in entertainment, always been there, but actually come to the fore as the best comedians in a way. I'm not saying other people aren't good too, but they've really had fresh and new ways of of, of doing comedy. And women's comedy, I think of Hannah Gadsby, Nanette, it's really been an explosion.
0: What do you think comedy's going to look like in 20 years in Australia?
4: Well, I think that already the means of production have been democratised. So, you know, look at the the, the Get kraken women uh, with their original cooking show and you know there's been or Bondi hipsters mm. we've seen people just seize the 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 limelight via YouTube and another platform I think we're going to see a lot more comedy as politics mm-hmm. some of the things that progressive politics do that they don't necessarily think through the implications of okay like what we, well we a kind of uh Desire to to control and shush, shush people up, uh, which is a routine thing. It's always been part of left-wing politics. But the other side has been a more libertarian uh, opening up. When, as someone like myself associated with progressive politics, I've always been on the, you know, the, if you can't dance, I don't want to be part of your revolution side. So the more... Um, Wishing for the debates to be open rather than closed down. So, I think we're going to see a lot more uh, pushing against that, and it shouldn't, it's not just going to be on the right. Uh, uh, It's going to be, you know, people like in the 60s who did that, like Richard Neville and uh, Jermaine Greer. Mm. And I think we're seeing that start already. I think we're going to see more uh, pushing against that kind of. uh, sort of almost therapeutic state that sort of wants to keep us safe all the time, you know? And I'm not saying don't keep us safe from COVID, but a kind of cultural or intellectual safety, just pushing against it as they have in the past. And we all know what happened in the late 50s, early through the 60s, into the 70s. There was a great freeing up of society and film, comedy, music, they all played their part in that and will again.
0: Michael Schaefer is a Melbourne-based comedian who has appeared many times on television and to sold-out festivals around the country. His latest show explores his experience with testicular cancer, cancel culture, racism and according to his bio, the important and urgent questions on the perils of skinny jeans. Michael Schaefer. The first question I want to ask you is, what do you think is the point of comedy?
5: I think it's just to make people laugh. I think that's the point. I think that some people think that it has some uh, more artistic purpose, which I think is nice if it does. But for me, like, it's just got to be funny first. If it does anything else, great. But if it's funny, that's all that matters.
0: Right. So you don't see it as having any greater social purpose or truth to power?
5: No, not at all. Um, I know that a lot of people do have that philosophy and maybe some of my comedy... Does serve some sort of purpose. I like to think it does, but I never write stuff to serve a purpose. I write stuff because I'm like, is it funny and is it original? Those are the two boxes that I just try to tick every time. And if it does anything else, like I don't know, you know, dismantles racism or prejudice, great. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't try to do anything else. I am aware though that as a Jewish person, I'm always representing my people whether I want to or not and I don't want to but people assume that I am so I am very conscious of how I come across as a Jewish person on stage and I want to make sure that people who see me will at least leave with a um, hopefully a, a positive attitude towards Jewish people which I think it's ridiculous that I have to serve that purpose but I accept that that I do to some extent
0: yeah well, it's ridiculous, but it's also reality. Yeah, exactly. That's a heavy burden to wear. Yeah,
5: know. it sucks. I don't like, want how it. do you
0: be funny while also trying to be the ultimate Jewish poster boy?
5: Yeah, well, that's exactly the point. Like, there was, there was so many jokes or there's been so much material over the year that I'd love to do, but I think that it would not be a smart thing for me to do in the climate that I live in. So,
0: Tell, tell us about that. Like,
5: Well, I'm just very um, – I'm very careful about perpetuating any Jewish stereotypes. I'm very careful about, um, uh, when I discuss the Holocaust and things like that, I'm my grandfather's Holocaust survivor. I talk about that in the show. I'm very careful about not, um, trivializing the Holocaust or making jokes that are at the expense of Holocaust survivors. Um, and when I discuss being Jewish, it's, um, I always try to make sure, okay, I I don't want to perpetuate a stereotype about Jews and money. I don't want to perpetuate a stereotype that Jews are stingy or anything like that. So, yeah, I've got to be – there's a lot of, I think, um, boundaries I think I put around Mm. myself. But to be honest, they're just kind of things that have come up over the years where, you know, people have said to me, I don't think you should say that because you're implying this. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize that, you know. So, a lot of this stuff has just come up over the years and now I'm a lot more conscious of it. And it's annoying because I don't want to have to think about it, but I certainly do.
0: Yeah, so do you feel like at times you have to be hyper aware?
5: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um and it's frustrating because sometimes I think like I I I'm doing that and I'm and I'm being hyper aware and then someone will misinterpret a joke. And think that I'm saying one thing when I thought it was really clear, I was saying the opposite. Mm. And then I have to ask myself, oh, are people getting the irony? Are they getting what I'm saying? Um, so, yeah, that's a bit um, frustrating and I'm always trying to get the right balance.
0: Then would you say that it's, it is okay for us to make jokes about our own experiences or our own groups? Like you can make jokes about being Jewish in a way that obviously I could yeah. not. Or you, cancer. Yeah. Would you say that, that that's okay?
5: Uh, not necessarily. So I know that me being a cancer survivor or me being Jewish or whatever, um, gives me a bit more uh, credibility to talk about those things, but it's still, I have to be really careful about, you know, what I say and I can talk about those subjects and I think people will be like, okay, it's okay for him to talk about the subject. And so Mm. I get a bit of grace period to talk about the subjects, but, um, they're still very um, I guess discerning and wondering, okay, but who's the target of the subject? Like, I used to have this joke about um people coming up to me when I was um going through treatment and saying, oh, you should speak to other people who are going through cancer. Like, that'll be good for your mental health. And I'm like, I just, I can't imagine that being A good experience for mental health just talking to other people going through cancer like yeah what a bag of laughs that is gonna be um but i used to say that on stage and that joke didn't really work because it was a joke that was making fun of other people who were going through cancer treatments and that's kind of i mean those are people who are disempowered and are having a tough time so people didn't feel comfortable laughing at that joke. So even though I'm talking about my own personal experience mm. in cancer, that joke wouldn't work because it was targeting a group of people who are having a terrible time and people don't feel comfortable laughing at that.
0: And are there ever people who just say you shouldn't just be you shouldn't laugh at cancer anyway. Yeah, like I that's do just get that. not okay. Like <laughs> I yeah, cuz I I wondered about that and I wondered about say if a woman makes a joke uh, about her sexual assault or her miscarriage or her abortion for example. People could get really upset about that, even though she could say, but this was my experience and I want to be able to joke about that. But even that's not okay. Or your cancer experience.
5: Yeah. I mean, there are some people who are always going to say there are particular topics. That should never be discussed in the context of comedy um i've had people say to me you should never talk about cancer and i know that women have said similar things like i know that women female comedians have heard they shouldn't talk about their own sexual assault or like you said or an abortion or a miscarriage or something tragic that's happened to them um and i just think that's Wrong. That's not correct. You um, can absolutely talk about every topic, and you should. And I think that there are going to be people in the audience who are always um, going to have a strong emotional response to particular topics, and you can empathize and understand that response. You know, like I had someone send me a, a message saying, like, I don't think you should ever, you know, joke about cancer because i'm going through my second round of treatment at the moment there's nothing funny about it and i have a lot of empathy for that person and not everyone can respond to a cancer diagnosis the way that i have uh, because i just think everything's funny and that's how i I deal with things um so i have a lot of empathy with that person but i still think that they're wrong to say you can't make jokes about cancer because i think doing that is so important it helps destigmatize the diagnosis and makes people more aware i know so many men like would be checking their testicles after mm. I talk about my experience. And statistically, one of them has probably picked up cancer early because of that. So, um, you know, to say you can't talk about a particular topic is wrong. I have Jewish people say you can't talk about the Holocaust on stage. It's not You can never put that in the context of stand-up comedy. And I understand Jewish people are going to react really strongly to that, particularly people who have, you know, good parents or grandparents have survived the Holocaust. But again, they're wrong because it's really important for that to be discussed in today's society. And you'd be amazed how much you actually, you know, raise people's awareness about these topics when you talk about them on stage. Like I did a joke once about like a Holocaust denier who thought that, um, you know, only like two million Jews died in the Holocaust. So it wasn't a genocide. And my joke was like, I still feel like that's enough though. Like I feel (laughs) like that's (laughs) heaps. Even if you're right, like that's still <laughs> totally a genocide, <laughs> um, and like that was a joke, but like the joke's about the Holocaust, but yes. I'm making fun of a Holocaust yes. denier. Do you know what yes. I mean? Like, so the target is very different to the subject. Mm. And um, but then someone came out to me after the show and was like, I didn't know that like six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust, and, really? I, and for me, I just assumed that everyone knew that. But I would have thought that too. I would have thought that too.
0: Peter Hallier says audiences have definitely become more political.
1: I, I grew up not knowing who my parents voted for. We didn't really chat about politics in our house. I didn't really know what left or right meant from a political point of view. I knew what I meant from a directional point of view. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> I wasn't just walking around in circles for my entire uh, teens. Um, but I, from a political, I didn't know what it meant to my early 20s, you know, um, mm. which, is, it, which is crazy now when, when I think about that. Um, mm. But I now it just seems that everyone wants to know where you are on the political spectrum. I think even our audiences Oof. kind of feel an expectation to, you know, uh, to know where you are, even if you're not talking about it on stage, I kind of, I get the sense they would like to know uh, before they even book tickets um, yeah. w- w- where your, your politics lie.
0: Do you think that's a fair expectation?
1: No, no, it's not. Um, uh, I don't think so. Um, although, although, you know, um, maybe i'm wrong maybe you know if, if if you're a you know if you're a lefty and and you be, be one of the night of escapism comedy you don't necessarily want to you know and and you you see a comedian who's who's doing all the um dogs and cats gear and the, and the airplane airplane gear and it's, it's but it's still making you laugh mm. and then you find out he's all right you know privately i mean does that does that change your experience um yeah. you know I, I, it's interesting I don't i don't know i guess each to their own, and, and um, you know, um, I suspect they probably won't book tickets for a second show. There are enough comedians to um, yeah. <laughs> to uh, to enjoy, um, yeah.
0: And for our final word, here's Nazim Hussain. Cast your mind fifty years into the future. Mm. What do you think comedy looks like?
2: Honestly, like I often think about that, and I think um, I think comedy will continue to look kind of like the way society is. So comedians just tend to reflect back to audiences um, the the sensibilities and the culture of the times. I feel like we will uh, still be, you know, there'll still be the debates about has comedy gone too far? Because I've heard interviews from comedians. 20 years ago from 30 years ago talking about where the comedians have gone too far. Eddie Murphy back when he did his raw and delirious sets the interviews that he did after that were the same questions that comedians are answering right now so I think it's it's always gonna be a debate about but that's the role of comedy to to sort of to almost take things too far sometimes say things too far sometimes not say things too far far enough so yeah I think it's it's gonna be it's gonna be performing the same role and I think maybe that answers your question about why we laugh it just you know it Comedy maybe takes people to the edge of what, where they normally think. Because if you think about it, our job is literally to sit around all day and just try to get to the end of a thought that normally you're supposed to stop thinking about because you've got things to do in your day. So, you know, as I think about like stupid topics for way too long.
0: I love That's that. Work. Comedians exist in a space beyond the full stop.
2: Oh, my God. Can you attribute that quote to me, please?
0: <laughs> but it's true. That's what you're saying. That's yeah. really interesting. That's, that's what
2: we do, Susan. It's a um, really important job. <laughs> what beyond the full stop. <laughs> it sounds like a roomy quote. I know. That's awesome.
0: Nazim Hussein, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much. And that concludes part one of our look into the future of comedy. Next week, we will speak to our comedians about why performing comedy in today's age isn't as hard as it's made out to be. We'll also get some tips from some of Australia's funniest minds on how to navigate comedy in a rapidly changing world. And I can even offer some of my own hotly in-demand tips on comedy. Said absolutely no one ever. Hope you'll join us next time on What Happens Next.